Whenever we make boundaries out of fear or a, a knee-jerk, angry reaction, they will never last. The only way I've seen boundaries last is because we've reached a non-negotiability of them in our lives. Like we've reached a tipping point where we simply cannot do it anymore. And those are the healthiest, longest lasting boundaries where it really has deep meaning for you. We cannot create boundaries because other people are doing things or because you need something superficial in your life. They can only truly stick when you've made a true lifelong commitment that you will not allow someone to talk to you in a certain way or that you will truly preserve your dignity in these ways. You're making a commitment to yourself. We believe that the boundary is for the outside, but it's not. It's a boundary against our old patterns where we have come to a realization that our old pattern is really damaging us. And that's what the boundary is against. I'm Doug Bobes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's conversation is going to challenge you. It's going to push you and hopefully open your eyes to different perspectives on subjects like divorce, healing, boundaries, parenting, and relationships. My guest is not only a New York Times bestselling author, she is also a clinical psychologist whose work focusing on parenting, family dynamics, and mindful living is flat out revolutionary. I am so excited to interview Dr. Shafali today. You may be familiar with her paradigm-shifting books, including The Conscious Parent, and her newest book, A Radical Awakening, Turn Your Pain Into Power, Embrace Your Truth, Live Free, will be the focus of our chat today. Dr. Shafali's unique ability to blend clinical psychology with Eastern mindfulness is quite inspiring and changing lives. Our conversation today touches on becoming aware of toxic patterns, and how to take the steps to heal from them. Dr. Shafali and I discussed the tricky subject of divorce. This includes her sharing her own recent experience with it and how she embraced her divorce and how it led to massive personal growth. Dr. Shafali shares her thoughts on marriage and what she believes makes it work. We talk about the trendy topic of boundaries and how to set and uphold healthy ones, specifically with family. We also cover conscious parenting, what Dr. Shafali does to be her best self, and how to know if you're actually healing, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Shafali to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Shafali, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, and I've been wanting to, to interview you for quite a while because I initially discovered you through your book, The Conscious Parent. While I'm not a parent myself, I, I learned a lot about when I become a parent or if I become a parent, like what, however things work of things that I can do, things I probably shouldn't do. And also the importance of work and working on our own patterns, our own behaviors, our own traumas, our own pain to develop ourselves and, and build this deep relationship and connection with ourselves and with our partner so that we can be better parents to our kids. And I know patterns and behaviors and transformation is a 
big part of your newest book, A Radical Awakening, which I really enjoyed. And there was, there was something in there that stuck with me. And I was like, this is how I'm going to open our conversation. And you said something like, we don't live a life, we live a pattern. And I think that's a, a great place for us to kind of open our conversation because it honestly sets up like the foundation for your entire book, if you will, when you talk about going from survival mode to becoming awake and going into the light. So what did you mean by that, by that quote? So we don't realize it, but most of us are very drawn toward and create uh, situations in our life that induce us to act or feel in the same way we did as children. Mm. We think it's the boss or the child or the traffic jam, but it is really a repetition of the emotional patterns, our emotional experiences that we were just so conditioned to experience as children. That's what we set up in new realities. And we think it's the new reality, but it isn't. It's a repetition of that same emotional experience. Yeah. And, and I, I think from what I understand is that a lot of the experiences and patterns we develop as, as a child, obviously is what transpires into our day-to-day life as an adult. But I think what happens is we're so I mean, just narrow-minded and we're unaware of what's even going on that we just are just thinking so in the here and now and in the present moment that we just think consciously that whatever we're going through is just a direct result, like you said, of the traffic jam, or maybe it's a bad email or you go through a breakup or whatever it is. But we're so unaware of what's going on that I think many people just never get better because they don't, they're, they just don't, I don't think they have the ability to understand what's going on inside of them from a biological level, from a physiological level to start to do the work to unpack a lot of that. So what are some of the the steps that you have your clients take, or that you advise someone to take to begin to become aware of those patterns and then change them to get better? Right. So what you said is that most people are in the here and now just reacting to life, but actually they're not in the here and now Mm. because they're actually just blindly robotically reacting to life. So they're actually not here and now Mm. when we are here and now is, is that state is a very deeply aware and attuned state of our projections onto the present moment, our our co-creation of the present moment, and our internal feelings in the present moment. So we're actually not in the here and now. Most of us are actually disconnected to our presence in the here and now. We're just blindly reacting to the outer world and the outer situation based on past impulses, past feelings of lack, insecurity, and unworthiness. So if we are at a party and someone comes to us and says, you know what, that dress looks like it's a secondhand dress or whatever, something stupid, or that dress doesn't really fit you well. To be in the here and now means to understand that our feelings about her comment, that person's comment has nothing to do with what is happening right now, but all to do with the past. So to be in the here and now is to be aware, oh, I'm having feelings about what this woman is saying, but obviously I don't even know this woman, so it can't be really about her because she's reacting to me based on herself. So if I'm reacting to her, obviously it has to do with the past. So to be aware that when we are reacting to things 
in the present moment, most of it is coming from the past. Now that is true awareness. And most of us are not aware of that energy that we bring to any situation. Right. You did bring up a good point. So I guess to piggyback off that. So most of us are living in the subconscious or unconscious, I guess, if you will. I mean, I guess unconscious means you're asleep. So you're not like aware. So I guess that's what you mean by that. And that we're not fully capable of changing what's going on because we don't have a a basic understanding of actually the fact that we are in those past moments and then we're not in the here and now. So with that said, what are some steps that somebody could take? Say somebody's listening to this and their life is falling apart, or maybe somebody's listening to this and you're like, you know what? Like, I just want to better myself. I want to start to understand more of why I'm acting the way I am today. How can people start to unpack their past patterns and so that they can move from that state of, from the subconscious into a level of consciousness to, to improve their life. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a many layered journey. And the first step begins with, are you willing to become a seeker of your reality? Or are you going to just stay the same? Mm. First, there has to be an element of wanting it, right? You can't tell somebody to want to become better in, in their life if they don't want it. So if they say yes, Then the next step is how I begin is, okay, pay attention to your current life. Do an audit of your current life at the emotional level, at the financial level, at the relational level, at the physiological, the psychological. And let's do an inventory to see where you're feeling stuck and where you're losing your temper all the time and where you're feeling fatigued. And when we kind of lay it all out there in an analysis, we get to see wow, I'm chaotic here. I'm really fatigued there. I'm exhausted here. Now we begin to ask, well, why? That's what a seeker does. A seeker doesn't take things for granted and blame other people. A seeker says, what am I doing based on my past that is causing this current repetition of emotionality? What am I bringing to the situation right now? So a seeker first has to decide they want to be a seeker because it's not easy to be a seeker. And the second step that the seeker does is uncover what is going on beneath the surface of their life. And that occurs through an inventory, through an audit, through a processing, and they have to kind of get help. Just like the ultimate doctor heals the the broken bones in the same way, the, uh, the ultimate solution for the broken inner being is go and seek help from a coach or a therapist. You have to get that help. Right. And I think the, the one thing that you said that was spot on is that people have to make that choice that they want to change and they want to, to live a better life and they want to start to do this work because it seems, especially the way you explain it in your book, this work is tough. This work is, is hard. It takes sacrifice. It takes compromise. It, it takes energy. But on the other side, there's so much good that comes from it. You get this sense of empowerment. You feel more confident. Your relationship with yourself improves. Your relationships with others improve. Your work life improves. The way you're able to handle conflict improves. And, and I think what happens is people, they think that once they take a step in the right direction, that all of a sudden like that path now will become easier because they're making a better decision for themselves. And in reality, it gets tough. And I know one of the things that was really tough for you was the divorce that you went through. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to go into it so much as more I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm interested 
and how you dealt with that being somebody in your position where you're kind of coaching people along the way to better themselves and get through trauma and heal and become better versions of themselves to now here you are going through something that in a way you you could be judged. It could be almost like a temporary setback for you in your life, but you know, it's going to, something better is going to come from it. So how did you deal with the shame that might've come with that? Or how did you deal with like the stress of being somebody who's, you know, a therapist and, and, and now you're dealing with your own stuff. That's in a way right. bringing yourself down. <laughs> right. Right. So I've been on this path of spiritual insight and awakening since I was 21. Mm. And part of my path has been to understand that a lot of what culture puts on us in terms of the shoulds and the prescription lists yeah. are really dogmatic cages that we get enslaved into. And part of awakening is to break free from these cages, mm. to understand that culture is operating from a scarcity mentality, from competition, from comparison, and from toxicity. So a lot of our belief systems that we should get married, that we should have children, that we should be successful, that we should be young, that we should be beautiful, that we should be wealthy, are real lies that none, none of them need to be adhered to for a beautiful, joyful, and empowered life. However, because all of us have been raised like sheep to the slaughterhouse, we all follow the prescriptions because we don't wake up to realize that we are in a cultural matrix that herds us and tells us to believe things that are really not true. So I have been shedding these beliefs all my last 25 years. And so the way I dealt with the end of my marriage is to understand that I was actually ending my inauthenticity, my fear, my old self, my old cycles. And I was actually remarrying myself into a new way. So the divorce was nothing to be ashamed of because it was a divorce from all my old suppressions mm. that had even nothing to do with my ex. It had all to do with my own inner bondage to my own inner fears. So I look at life like that. I've never subscribed to life any, as anything but that. So any shame I felt was because I took in what culture was wanting to put on me, but it wasn't my real experience. So I speak a lot about our false self and our true self. And e the ego is the false self that culture puts on us and we take in and we believe is the true self. So my true self felt no shame. My true self and everyone's true self is beyond shame. Our true self is beyond fear. Our true self is beyond judgment. It's the cultural self that feels shame. So I was very aware that culture wanted to make me feel bad, but my true self was free. And when the true self is free, there is nothing but expansion and emergence and rebirthing. And that's why I wrote this beautiful book, according to me, because it gives permission to women to enter their true self and have no shame about releasing all the inauthentic, fear-based, scarcity, unworthiness-based parts of themselves, as I did. You're right. I think in our society, there's this idea that you're supposed to go to college after high school. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to buy a house with a white picket fence and you know, have some kids and have dogs, all these things, which again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I mean, I'm sure there's, and there's part of me that in a way wished, I mean, there's part, a small part of me that looks back at some of my friends who are married with kids and have that life. And I'm like, wow, I wish I had done that, but I always come back to, 
this is just what God, the universe, whatever you believe in is intended for me to be where I am today. And, and in the position I am where, where I'm, where I don't have that. And I think it becomes very individualistic, just like anything else that you just have to trust your path and, and do the work. Cause I think the, the whole idea I got out of this book, because I mean, a lot of my audience, there's, there's men and there's women is that you have to stay true to yourself. And that you have to, to know when you're out of alignment with your authentic version of you. And you also have to know that when you're slipping up, you know, making choices that aren't conducive with the person that you want to be, you talk a lot about like accountability in the book too. And, and I think for those listening to this, that maybe you are somebody, maybe, maybe you're a kid who isn't going to college, like other kids are in your class, or maybe you're somebody who you're watching your friends just get married, or maybe you're somebody who recently went through a divorce. I think what happens is we hold on to that situation and then we attach this shame and guilt because of judgment, because of what other people think of us or because of what other people are doing. And then we spiral down into a worse version of ourselves. So I just invite you to just know that this was just part of the plan. And while this, these situations are unfortunate because you're not doing maybe what other people are doing, or it's hard to watch other people go to college or get married. Just know you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And then Absolutely. if you, right. And culture has created a linear prescription list of what you should do. And it's my entire life's mission is to free people from that bondage and relook and re-examine at how these institutions that we've adhered to are actually thieves of our empowerment, our unique individuality, our idiosyncratic natures, and our inner power. Mm -hmm. These are institutions by nature that want to create separation, competition, comparison, ownership, possession, and control. And we should be allowed to honor our own inner consciousness with intentionality. You know, people say that or have a belief that, oh, if everyone got a divorce, then society would fall apart. That belief system is a false belief system. It occurs out of fear that the only thing that should keep people together is a marriage. Mm. Instead, what should keep people together is an honest, transparent union which is dedicated to each other's growth. We need to move away from marriage as a longevity-based model to a growth-based model. Every seven years, we should recommit, we should renew, we should renegotiate. And when you then leave each other, it is not done through ego's anger or through a reaction and betrayal. It's done through conscious intention. When divorce is handled through conscious intention, nobody falls apart. Actually, we all thrive. So this whole idea that divorce is a failure comes from a fear-based model of marriage. Right. And I, and I think, yeah, you're right. And I think we're, we're, we're kind of a check the box society, if you will. Like there's, there's a lot of people that maybe just check the box and go to church, for instance, on Sundays. And then the way they carry themselves during the week doesn't reflect like that at all. Right. Or there's right. people that just get married to get married and yet they don't even love the person that they're with. Right. And then, and that's the issue, right? I think what you're saying is that, yeah, you're all for marriage. You're all for partnership, but it's just like, is it done in a way where you have a healthy relationship where okay. you have a healthy family and you're supporting one another and you're growing together because I don't know exactly what the divorce rate right now is. I mean, here in the United States, but I know it's, it was like 50%. So clearly like whatever is being done now isn't working. Right. Uh, right. So we, we need to not look at it in terms of, you know, are you married or are you not? But instead, are you growing or are you not? Mm -hmm. 
And then it's not a failure rate. It's not a divorce rate. And really, we should be entering marriage with a new consciousness of how is this union going to most foster our greater consciousness and our growth? And if it doesn't, can we part ways with beauty, with humility, and with increased dignity for each other? Not, you know, like, I hate you. I mean, it's just such such childish drama being repeated. And most marriages are repetitions of early childhood drama anyway. That's right. why they don't last. Right. No, oh, and and it makes a lot of sense. So, I, and I wanted to stay on this this topic. So, I think it's important for people to hear this because, again, like whether you're male or female, I think there's so much importance in doing the work and being aware of destructive patterns in your life that show up either as part of your shadow or as part of the ego or just even in your present life. Because sometimes we make bad decisions consciously, and then we look back and we just know immediately we shouldn't have done it. So, we talked about like. Number one, making that choice to wanting to get better and then trying to identify some patterns. Like after we identify patterns, what can somebody do? Like, what are some things that you use with your clients or even in your own personal journey to help kind of navigate them on a path of healing and personal growth so that they can have a better relationship with themselves and others? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. I think I have found a new addiction, and that's the Paleo Valley Beef Sticks. When I first came across these, I was honestly quite skeptical, being that most beef sticks are highly processed, unhealthy, and gross. But after trying the ones from Paleo Valley, I was instantly sold, not just for the taste, but because they are grass-finished, grass-fed, and fermented. Plus, the company is family-owned and accessible, which seals the deal for me. So many people ask, How can I get more protein in my diet when I don't have the time? Paleo Valley has you covered with their high-quality beef sticks. I have even been recommending them to my personal training clients. They come in many flavors, but personally, I am digging the summer sausage and teriyaki. So if you'd like to give one of the best healthy snacks on the market a try, go to paleovalley.com, and when you enter in the code DOUG at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, then the next step is how to integrate the intellectual awareness that you are now with these patterns and how they're showing up in the present moment. Mm. So it requires us to pay attention, pay attention to how your jaw is clenching, to how your chest is agitating, to how exhausted you are, to how you're cursing, how you're raising your voice. All these are signs and symptoms of old patterns. And we need to be awake in the present moment to go, oh my goodness, that's my pattern. Here I am again. And then we have to execute the pause, right? The sacred pause where before we react and jump into the cycle of the pattern, we take a step back and disrupt the pattern. So life then becomes moments of disruption rather than just us entering the roller coaster of this spiraling chaotic emotionality where we create more mess ups in our lives. So Mindfulness, being in the present moment, being aware and awake and focused to our life is key. You can't yeah. live your life asleep and expect to be liberated and authentic. You just can't. Right. And I, and I know that self-awareness is like a big foundation of your book, like I was saying earlier in our conversation. And as we get into the part where you talk about coming into the light, like being awake, like before we get, you know, before you talked about accountability, sovereignty, boundaries, detachment, you talked about 
self-awareness because in order to hold yourself accountable, you have to be aware of what you're holding yourself accountable for. In order to set a boundary, you need to be aware of what it is in your life, whether it's with yourself or somebody else, where the boundary has has either been broken or maybe you need to build a new one and why you're building that boundary. And, and boundaries are tough. And I think it's easy. Well, it's, it's not easy to set a boundary, but I think the easier part is, is setting the boundary. I think where it becomes challenging is holding the boundary. So what are some of your best practices either for yourself or for the people that you coach to, to set healthy boundaries and then also on the other side, be able to uphold them when things get tough so that they can stay true to themselves. Right. The reason why we don't uphold the boundary is because we haven't created that boundary out of a, a, a growth. We've created the boundary out of a reaction, mm. out of a, a knee-jerk situation, uh, and it hasn't come from a true alignment. So that's why we talk about really gauging the situation, really understanding our patterns and really emerging into a state of true consciousness when we create a boundary. Otherwise, the boundary is just going to be momentary. So if you create a boundary in your life, that okay, that's it. I'm never going to eat cookies again. Okay. And it's going to go away within two minutes. That's why New Year's resolutions fade away because you're creating boundaries out of reactivity, out of an artificial external stimulation rather than a deep inner growth experience that, you know what? Cookies are a true sign of disrespect to me and I'm going to really start respecting my body. And it's coming from that deep internal decision where you have chosen to treat yourself differently. And it means something very significant to you to go against that. It has to come from your own deep internal decision rather than a superficial reactive, you know, it's New Year's, so I'm going to create a New Year's resolution kind of attitude. You're right. I mean, I'm a trainer, so I see this all the time where people have just had enough of themselves of themselves, and they they reach this low point. They're like, that's it. I'm going back on a diet. I'm starting my New Year's resolution. And then you're in a, a, a low place of self-esteem. And so your ability, I think, to overcome that is less because you start off and then you're just not feeling great about yourself anyway. And then now you throw in more restrictions into your life and you're going to feel even less about yourself. Whereas if you do it the other way and you feel empowered and you have a deep reason behind why you're not yes. going to eat that cookie, like maybe it's self-love, maybe it's prevent yourself from disease, whatever it is. Now you feel better because you know, you're going somewhere like in, in the right direction. Yeah. Whenever we make boundaries out of fear or, uh, a knee-jerk, angry reaction, they will never last. Mm. Uh, the only way I've seen boundaries last is because we've reached a non-negotiability of them in our lives. Like we've reached a, a tipping point where we simply cannot do it anymore. And those are the healthiest, longest lasting boundaries where it really has deep meaning for you. You know, we cannot create boundaries because other people are doing things or they're in trend or, or because you need something superficial in your life. They can only truly stick when you've made a true lifelong commitment that you will not allow someone to talk to you in a certain way or that you, you will not allow these foods to go into your body or that you will truly preserve your dignity in these ways. You're making a commitment to yourself. We believe that the boundary is for the outside, but it's not. It's a boundary against our old patterns where we have come to a realization that our old pattern 
is really damaging us. And we need to say goodbye to that old part of ourselves. And that's what the boundary is against. It's against our own lethargy or our own procrastination or our own sabotage. It's against ourselves. You know, and that's why we don't create boundaries well, because we think we're going to hurt other people. It has nothing to do with other people. It has to do with the part within ourselves that creates dysfunction in our own life. That's the key. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people correlate boundaries with a level of selfishness, because especially when it comes to maybe like, we'll just talk family dynamics. That's an easy one, because there's a lot of people that, for instance, don't want to spend as much time with their families as maybe other people do, or as much as the other person in their family wants them to. And you'll hear people say, you're just being selfish. Like, why won't you come out for dinner? Why won't you come out for lunch? Like, what do you mean? You got to take care of yourself. So, and I think, I mean, this is my experience that there has to also be a level of not compromise. That's not the right word, but just you got to, I think, be able to step out into a level of growth and spend some time with family where maybe it's as long as it's not like an abusive situation and you're not just in your house by yourself, kind of hiding from the world. So how can somebody know that if they're stepping into a healthy boundary with somebody like their family versus them just hiding and not wanting to deal with a lot of the problems that have come from right. that? So this is a very common thing. I'm so glad you brought it up because many people think they're creating healthy boundaries, but they're just avoiding reality. Yes. Well, guess what? When they create healthy boundaries from that space of avoidance, like quote unquote healthy boundaries, but they're actually avoiding, they will have to contend with that because there will be another fallout. You know, they will ultimately have to realize that they've just been isolating themselves and their life will break down in some other way. Right. Maybe they didn't see grandma because they created a healthy boundary, but but they they lost in some other way. I've had people who have shut me out of their lives with the ruse, with the language that they're creating a healthy boundary. But I could just tell that they just didn't want to confront the reality of what I was telling them. Right. They stopped talking to me. Right. They've shut down. So how can they tell? Well, you know, when they wake up, they'll be able to tell. It's very hard to tell that person that, hey, you're just running away. Right. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if somebody steals from you and you tell them, hey, why are you stealing? And then they go, you know what? I need to create a healthy boundary and not talk to you. (laughs) That's just complete bullshit. Right. Right. So we can't tell people they have to figure it out for themselves. But let's be honest with our own selves, at least, and always check within ourselves. Am I avoiding the truth or am I truly staying away from this person because they are toxic? Am I toxic and therefore I'm avoiding them or are they toxic? Therefore, I'm avoiding them. Yeah. And, and it's hard because in society today, the narrative of self-love and taking care of yourself is trending and it's popular. And while I do believe you have to take care of yourself, you have to exercise, you have to have healthy relationships. You got to you know do the inner work, go to therapy, meditate, all those things and set healthy boundaries. I, I, I agree with that. I think the flip side can be massively unhealthy that you're just avoiding people because you don't want to face the truth and you, and you lose the ability to make sacrifices in your life. Cause there's, there's some, like, for instance, like there's some times that I don't necessarily want to spend time with my family, but I know that it's not just about me. It's just more just knowing that I'm practicing this muscle where I'm doing things. I know I, I don't want to be doing, but I'm doing it just because it's just, it's not the right thing to do. It's just, I know it makes my parents 
happy to see me during a certain occasion. Yeah, but, but let's reframe that because let's not go into the word sacrifice because that feels like you're, you know, when we, when we think we're sacrificing, that automatically will bring some resentment down mm. the line and that it makes us feel like we're some martyrs here. And what I really try help, to help people own is that don't do anything out of sacrifice. Mm. Own that you're doing it for your parents because you are getting something back. And right. tap, tap into that gratitude. Mm. Tap into the receiving. So, for example, young mothers... Now, those are, if you really want to use the word sacrifice, like talk about that, right? right. You sacrifice your breasts, you sacrifice your sleep, you sacrifice your body. But I, I help mothers really step into a different state, which is that their giving is really giving them. Mm. And that in their giving, they're receiving. And there aren't any martyrs here in the room. Because the minute we begin to think we're sacrificing, we act like we're martyrs, and then we want something back in return. And then we get resentful when we don't get it. So I always try to stay away from this idea that we're sacrificing. We are, you are doing for your parents because it makes you feel like a good son. So right. tap into that. That's why you're doing it. Right. Yeah. So even though your ego or your selfish part or your self-centered part or your whatever part doesn't want to do it, there's another part that wants to do it because you like feeling like a good son. Right. So tap into that when you do that. So there is no sacrifice. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's always a feedback loop and we should always look for what am I receiving because I should not do unless I feel like I'm getting something back in my giving from myself. Like no one needs a martyr here. You know, we want to give because we are receiving in return. Right. No, that, that makes sense. And I was honestly, I was trying to figure out how to frame that yes, in know. a way, because I was like, all right, I don't want to say it in, in a codependent way where I'm just yeah. doing it to make them happy. Cause it's not real. It's just, there's some things in life you just, just do. <laughs> and because, it, you're, because you like to be a good guy. So yeah. that's why you're doing it because yeah. it's eating that part of you that is an upright, good guy. Okay. And I think, and what I was going to say is, is the reason I brought this up is I think there's this become this narrative where, where there's a lot of people because a relationship with their family is, is not where it could be because of choices that they've made. They just want to hide from them all the time. And I did that and it wasn't healthy. And I, and I, I built a lot of resentment and guilt along the years of, of time that I lost not developing certain relationships. And while I know there's nothing I can do about it now, there's still times where I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have done that. Right. I mean, it's, it's just life. It's human nature. And, and so I think one of the things that people struggle with though, when they're healing is knowing if they're actually healing, like, cause I think what happens when somebody's making a transformation is our ability to keep going again. And just in my experience is seeing like these small wins and knowing that we're making progress. But I think when we're caught in this whirlwind of healing at times, which can be very overwhelming, how can somebody develop the awareness or how can somebody be mindful that they're actually going in the right direction? Cause you hear this question a lot. Like, I don't know if I'm actually getting anywhere. Am I actually healing? Like, what are some signs of that? Oh my goodness. Are you, it's very clear when you're healing, you are more centered, less reactive, more energetic, more courageous. You take more risks. You, you, you live in a more liberated way because healing means that you're taking care of your inner wounds, mm. which means that you're going to be pricked less by the external world. You're calmer, you're gentler, you're more compassionate because you're not being prickled as you used to be because your inner wounds are now closing up. You're healing. So just like a real wound on the body heals, how do you know it? Because if you touch that old place, it doesn't hurt anymore. In the same way, 
You're like, damn, I haven't lost my temper for 15 days. Nobody's upset me. It's not because they're not obnoxious people out there like they used to be. It's because you are integrated and whole inside. So nobody can touch you the same way. Yeah. No, you're right. I think, but again, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is the ability to be self-aware of what helps you start your healing process in the first place. And then I think based on the practices of, of mindfulness, meditation, exercise, therapy, where you feel more connected to yourself, you develop more self-awareness around yourself that when you are healing, just naturally, you'll feel more self-aware and you'll start to notice these things, which is why it's so important to develop this self-awareness at the beginning and say, Hey, I need some help. I want to better my life. I want to start to work through some of the stuff I haven't worked through because I'm honestly just sick and tired of it. And I want to start to change the game. And I think that once people can see progress, that they are less reactive, that they are healing relationships, that they're getting along better with people, they're like, oh, like, I want to do more of this. And then it's going to encourage them to maybe unpack other areas of their lives. And then, and then you get to a place where you can set healthy boundaries because you're able to, you're, you're at a place where you can feel comfortable being held accountable, which I know you talk a lot about, which is probably the, one of the hardest things for people is to be held accountable. Why do you think that is, by the way? Well, because we don't want to grow up and take responsibility <laughs> for our co-creation, right? We don't want to see our part in anything. We only want to do the blame game, blame the other, or we blame ourselves. Blaming ourselves is not accountability. It's just blaming ourselves and entering yeah. another spiral of guilt and shame. True accountability is self-responsibility. Yeah. And I, and I think for one of the things that I, I think about when you talk about blaming yourself is the victim mindset. And I think the victim mentality can be a massive addiction. Because it's easy to blame other people for your problems. It's easy to blame the world. It's easy to blame the environment. It's easy to blame everything. And while I acknowledge that a lot of what happens around us is extremely unfortunate, just is, the reality of it is that we can't change it. We cannot change it. And, and But we, we, we feel like we have to be able to control everything. We want to be able to control what happened in the past. We want to be able to control what happens in the future. And as a result, we just stay stuck and, and almost just helpless in that state of victimization because now it's like, okay, well, I, I can't control what's going on in front of me and I can't change what happened behind me. So I might as well not take a chance because that's really scary. Mm. So what, what advice do you have for somebody who's spiraling in that victim mentality that is just so terrified of making a change because of the lack of control? And they're just so afraid of, of moving forward based on the mistakes they've made in their past. Yeah. So victim consciousness can become a real quicksand and a stuck place where people are now so afraid of taking charge of their lives because it went so wrong in the past. So we have to have compassion for them, but also help them understand that this is a way, this blame game is a way of really not moving forward in your own life. And you know, it's their little inner child that's so scared that they, they're just using this blame as a defense to keep themselves small and stuck. So in a way, they are actually doing what the perpetrator wanted them to do, which is stay small. And right. in order to take their power back, they need to take the blame back. 
And therefore, the, the victim consciousness person needs to become a victor consciousness person. Ultimate, ultimate power is not to blame another. Ultimate power is to take the blame away from the other. So the other has no power over you at all. Mm. Absolutely. Because I think once you can acknowledge that you have some sense of control of your situation in this, like, based on the choices that you make with what you have, you feel empowerment. And once you feel empowered, then you feel motivated, you feel encouraged, and then you can take this thing called action. And then once you start to take action, then you feel even more empowered because you're like, wow, I'm actually making some choices that are aligned with the person I want to become and I'm making progress and things are getting better. I want to do more of that. And I think what happens though is, is people people are scared and they, they have a hard time dealing with fear because they think that if they're afraid of something, that it's just a negative thing. And in reality, like fear is a natural part of life. There's nothing that gets done that's meaningful without taking a chance on yourself and, and having faith and not like a religious faith, like believing in that light. Like you talk a lot about the light in your book and, and people, when they have faith, it's just believing in the unseen. And even though there's some immense darkness right now, that if they just keep putting one step forward and taking small steps, that they'll get to the light eventually there's no idea when they don't know how, but they just got to keep doing the necessary things to get there. And I kind of want to dive into, as we kind of like reach towards the end of our conversation, I, I want to get into some of your best tips for conscious parenting. Like I, I wouldn't want to not have this conversation with at least that without at least touching on this. Cause I know that parenting is tough. I think raising kids in, in this day and age is tough. I have a lot of parents to listen to my podcast and your book, The Conscious Parent was phenomenal. So what are some of your best practices that you teach in that book that you could share within just a few minutes here for parents to, to take in and to, when raising their kids? Well, that's hard to say, but uh, just to encapsulate a few key points is for parents to understand that a lot of their behavior towards their children is coming from their own unhealed little selves. They're using their children to meet their expectations and fantasies. And unless we can see that as parents, we'll keep projecting onto our children all these expectations and standards that are really coming from within our lack and our unworthiness that we're putting on our children. And all our desire to control our children and micromanage our children and push our children is partly coming from our own inner the scarcity that we have inside that we're carrying from childhood. And if we don't see that, we will keep blaming the kid. We will keep shaming the kid. And that's how we were raised. And we will pass down this intergenerational pain. Mm. Now that that's true. I think developing a state of consciousness and becoming aware of who we are as, as people in the relationship will not only help us in, in the relationship itself, but it'll help us become better parents and recognizing these, these patterns and becoming aware, like you've, we've talked about throughout this, this conversation is something that's, that's crucial for, for everybody. And, and so I guess what I want to ask you is like, what are some things that, that you do proactively on a daily basis to take care of your health, to take care of your wellness that you're, so that you're constantly working on yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself? I meditate every day. I listen to my body and my feelings and I honor myself. I put myself kind of first. I don't please people like I used to. I'm honest with myself. So I have a lot of excess bullshit taken away from my life that I used to have. 
And I've really streamlined my life. I only do what gives me joy, really. Mm -hmm. I find the joy in everything I do, and I only do things that give me joy. So I'm always feeling replenished, excited, energetic, and abundant. I'm not sucking on anybody to give me things because it's an inside job, and I work on it on a daily basis. Yeah, I think honoring yourself and your body and only doing things that, that bring you joy is definitely a great, I don't want to say it's a great quality. It's just a great thing to, to practice because I think we, when we don't do, do things that bring us joy, we become unhappy, we develop resentment and we just don't feel like ourselves. So I just kind of emphasize people who are listening to this to really do things that, that bring you joy. So my last question for you is this. I know a big part of your awakening in recent times has been the divorce and something that has led to an immense amount of personal growth. What's been one thing since then that you've discovered Maybe it's a pattern, maybe it's a behavior, maybe it was a relationship that was something that you you had to address that was destructive in your life that has made you a better person. Well, you know, the divorce was actually just the culmination of a long series of unfoldings and I continue to unfold. And, you know, it's not one big moment. It's, mm-hmm. it's nothing comes about without infinite other changes. So I'm just continuing to speak my voice, share my truth and be as loving and caring as I can be. And so I just continue on that path. You know, I write this book, I'm going to write another book, I I see clients. So my entire work is very streamlined and aligned with who it is I am. Mm. I love that. So what's next for you? Like, are you, is your next book going to be on healing, on awakening again? Like, is there another thought? I haven't narrowed it down, but all my books are paradigm shifting, you know, kind of transformation books. I have a coaching institute where I coach people to become parent coaches, conscious parent coaches. I do courses all the time. I just finished a 10-day course. So people who want to grow with me or learn, they can take a course. They can join my coaching institute if they're interested in spreading this word and having entrepreneurship in their life. And I keep writing. I do speaking engagements. So this is all the plethora of things that I engage in. Amazing. So I'm sure people are going to want to find out more about your work. They're going to obviously want to read your newest book and your other books and maybe even join your coaching institute or follow you on social media. Where can people do that? Where can people find out more about you? They can go to drshafali.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And the book is available at aradicalawakening.com. Aradicalawakening.com. I will make sure to put all of that stuff in the show notes. And Dr. Shafali, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for coming on. And for those listening, what I want you to do as I invite you to do most of the time is to take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Dr. Shafali um, with a takeaway. Maybe you were inspired to buy one of her books. Maybe it was something she said about parenting. Maybe it was something that she said about her own story, healing, patterns. Maybe it was something about the ego, whatever it was, take a screenshot, tag her, tag myself. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to hear your takeaways. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.